All right, well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Wasn't it exciting to hear, I think, all three people that had microphones led at different parts of the first few songs, so it was exciting to hear those voices. Good job, everybody. Um, have, for those of you that are parents, have your kids ever done something that made you surprised? <laughs> yeah, duh, right? Well, I have four kids, and so I thought maybe I was past the point of being surprised. Um, but this year, something happened that once again surprised me. My oldest son, Josh, who is getting into his upper-level engineering classes at UNR, um, he has classes with names that I don't even understand. So it's like I for sure don't know what they're doing in there. But uh, I'm glad that he's smart and knows what he's doing. But Josh is in these classes. Now, uh, you need to realize they just had a, like a year, almost a year and a half of online class. And so that's a very different type of instruction and evaluation than when you're in the classroom, especially when, if you're online, there's no way to keep you from having kind of an open book, open note test on every test, right? Because it's right there. No one can stop you. It's just kind of understood. Well, now, after a year of having class like that, Josh is in kind of one of the upper level classes where everything comes together and all this knowledge you're supposed to have is being used to apply to these new problems, and he's suddenly supposed to have them memorized. He's suddenly supposed to just know them, uh, even though that's not how the real wor world works. But anyway, so he's in this class, and Josh is uh, a, a presidential scholar, so he has a lot of scholarship money that he's trying to keep up with, and he has to have a certain GPA, and when he uh, came home one day, this is what surprised me. He, we were just sitting on the couch, visiting, and he said, well, failed a test. Like, what? This is something we've never heard Josh say. Tests just come easy to him. He said, well, failed a test. Lowest grade I've ever even thought about getting. It was below 50. <laughs> and that's percentage. Not like 47 out of 50 or something. It was, it was a percentage. And so we were like, well, what's that going to do to your GPA? You know, I'm thinking dollar signs all of a sudden. <laughs> Uh, you know, naturally, but uh, also, you know, what's that going to do to your GPA, your graduation, you know, all that kind of stuff, and he said, well, the professor came the next time and said, this is the lowest average score on my first test that I've ever had in the history of teaching, and so he kind of was berating the class, but then said, so there's going to be some help provided in the form of a curve. Yeah, whew. and what Josh found out was that even though he had a really terrible grade, it was actually one of the better grades in the class, if you can believe that. 47 was one of the better grades <laughs> in the class. And so when it got curved, it made his situation look a whole lot better. When you're in class, when you're taking a test, a curve can be a really nice surprise, right? <laughs> a really nice surprise, a really nice bonus. But it can really be devastating. Imagine if Josh thought he was getting a curve, and then at the end of the semester, the professor's like, ah, oh, forget that. You just get what you get. That would be devastating. If you're counting on it, if you're just hoping for it, and it doesn't come. Well, I, I think if we're honest, we think about a lot of areas of life that way. I may get angry when I'm driving, but at least I'm not a murderer. I'll tell you all the latest gossip about everyone at work, but at least I haven't had an affair I'll cheat on my taxes, but at least I don't get drunk every weekend. We act like God grades on a curve. 
Like somehow some things are better than others. Some sins are okay and others aren't. We just try to be a little better than everyone around us because we're hoping at the end, if we're just a little better than everyone else, when the curve kicks in, we'll come out on top. Our society lives as if all you need to do is just be a little better than the majority. And you know what? You can always find someone worse than you, right? If you play the comparison game, you can always find someone that you feel like you're a little bit better than. But here's the bad news. God doesn't grade on a curve. So if you're hoping for one, if you're looking for one, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be devastated. With God, you get what you get related to sin and punishment, except there's some good news called the gospel. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, who decides the metric that we're measured against? Who decides what's good enough? This is another thing that shocked me about uh, college stuff that Andrew and Josh are telling me about. So in one class, a 94 to 100 is an A. In another class, it's a 92. And then over here in this class, it might be a 90. To me, that makes no sense. That wasn't true when I was there. I guess they've invented that in the years since. But the professor gets to set the metric. The professor gets to decide what's good enough to get an A in that class. It can seem a little unfair and a little arbitrary, but when it comes to our standing before God, God sets the metric. And we're going to see in our passage today that not only does he not grade on a curve, but the only passing grade is perfection, 100%. So there's no curve, and the only way to pass is to get 100. That's pretty tough. But it's not arbitrary, and it's perfectly fair. As the Bible puts it, God is perfectly just. So before you get too depressed, let's dive in, because it's good news, I promise. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for today, for the opportunity to talk about how you've provided a way for our sin to be dealt with, to be forgiven, to be taken care of, if we'll put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room today that's hearing this or understanding this, really for the first time today, that... uh, they would say yes to you, that they would say yes to you today, that they would leave knowing with confidence that they're forgiven, that they're right with you, that they're in relationship with you, the way that they were created to be. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to look at Romans 3, verses 20 to 26 today as we continue our, our series in Romans. Romans 3, verses 20 to 26 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now as I studied for today, a lot of the materials I looked at, the commentaries and and things, called this passage the most important paragraph in the Bible. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, no pressure, right? I don't want to mess that one up. The most important paragraph in the Bible. And they give it that designation because the Apostle Paul here sums up the gospel for us 
very powerfully and very succinctly. He tells us exactly what the good news is of Jesus. God has given us this amazing roadmap of salvation in just these few short verses. And he starts by identifying our problem. So if you didn't think you had a problem, well, I'm sorry to tell you, you did or you do. In Romans 3, 20 to 23, one more time, he says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul says, our problem is that we have sinned and we all know it. We have sinned and we all know it. As we go through Romans, we're, you know, we're not going verse by verse. And to get to this spot, we skipped a big chunk of a couple of chapters. Um, but verse 20, the reason I'm including that is it's a great summary of Paul main's, Paul's main point of the parts that we skipped, the parts that we jumped over. See, God gave the law so that we would know the standard by which we are measured, his perfection. That's that 100%. And the law's main focus was not to cleanse people, but it was to point out our need to be cleansed by pointing out God's righteousness, God's holiness, God's perfection. And we all fail to measure up to the standard. There's no way for us to make up the difference on our own. No one can be justified by the law because breaking one is too much. It's everyone. It's you. It's me. We're all in the same situation. We all have that same Problem. You know, Derek talks about this misconception in our culture that in order to be okay with God, you just need to be sure on the scale that your good outweighs your bad. Like if this is your good, need it to just be a little heavier than your bad. That's the way a lot of people think. The problem is God's scale is calibrated differently. God's scale is calibrated to perfection. So you can load up the good side with everything you can think of, and all it takes is one thing on this side to tip the scale out of balance because of the way that scale is calibrated. Here comes the law. It shows us that all it takes is that one sin, that one broken moment, that we don't measure up to God's righteousness. And this is a problem, again, for every person because in verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. It simply can't be done. Your good will never outweigh the sin in your life on God's scale. Because God doesn't grade on a curve. That's tough to hear, right? It's tough to hear. And how do we know this truth? Again, verses 21 and 22. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is where he gives us the scale. He measures our deeds against the righteousness of himself, his holiness, his perfection, anything less doesn't pass. And so what can we do? We've got a problem. We naturally want to find a solution, right? It sounds pretty bleak, and it is, but it's fair. So I think we can be thankful for God's honest diagnosis of our situation. We can be thankful that God lays it out and says, this, this is how it is. This is what you need to know. And the second thing he shows us in this passage is what he has done for us to help with the problem. He gave us a hint already saying, righteousness is available through faith in Jesus. 
But he continues to explore that in the next couple of verses when we find out what God did for us in verses 24 and the beginning of 25. He says, And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. God lets us know we've all fallen short, but then in this very next verse, which is a continuation of that thought, it's not a, the, verse 23 doesn't have a period at the end, it has a comma, very important, it's a continuation, lets us know what he's put in place on our behalf. And because of that continuation, we can start verse 24 with that same idea of it being for all. For all. It says, all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Now, this verse is really packed, so I'm going to break it down into four uh, different parts. First of all, the word justified. There's an important grammatical element here in the original language that helps us to understand. It's, in, it's a passive verb, which means being justified. It means it's being done to you or for you. It's not something you're doing. It's happening outside of yourself. God declares us just. God justifies the ungodly. He evens out the scales so that we can meet his standard. He sets our deeds aside and he places himself on the scale to balance our sin. God justifies, puts us in a right state before him through the perfection of his son. So the first word, justified. Secondly, by his grace, his undeserved favor. God didn't have to do anything about our sin. He didn't have to fix the problem. But because of his love and his grace toward us, he justifies. He makes a way for us to be forgiven and free of sin and the penalty of death. And you're no better than anyone else. It's important to remember, you are no better than anyone else. So pride has no place in this equation. We all had the same problem. And God does it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. God justifies by his grace. And thirdly, as a gift. Some versions say freely or without price. You know, when you get a gift, the idea is that you didn't pay anything for it. Now, I've had so many Christmases with Jennifer. Sometimes, like yesterday, she brought me her phone and said, I want this for Christmas. And so then I just ordered it. And, you know, that, that's sort of like she's paying for it herself. But that works out a lot better than if I try to think of things and then we have to go <laughs> take it back and all that. That's just, a, you know. Anyway, just a peek into our, our, our marriage relationship there. Uh, but God, when you get a gift, someone else pays the price. God is paying the price for this gift. It costs you nothing. It costs God everything. And again, it doesn't matter how good you are relative to anyone else because all it took was one sin to throw things out of balance. And we know that because of the law and the revealed righteousness of Jesus, we can't possibly meet the standard because God doesn't grade on a curve. doesn't matter how you match up to your neighbor. All it took was one sin to put things out of balance. And God still chooses to offer forgiveness and salvation to you and to me. He justifies us as a gift by his grace. But how? It's the last thing. Through Christ Jesus. He justifies us by his grace as a gift through his son. 
And he uses this big word, propitiation. This is the truth that expresses the amazing miracle of what Jesus has done. Because again, God doesn't grade on a curve. The standard is perfection, nothing short of 100%. And Jesus came to earth, and you know what he did? He met the standard. Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life without sin. And then he willingly took on the punishment of sin for all of mankind with his death on the cross. So he met the standard and took the punishment that we deserve. He becomes the substitute sacrifice where God places all his wrath, all his justice, all his punishment for our sin because there had to be a satisfactory payment for sin. It wasn't just poof, gone away. It had to be paid for in his son. Hebrews 9.22 says it this way. It says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Sin has to be paid for. God must kill his son in order to satisfy the wages of death that our sin has earned us. And Jesus takes and he satisfies the punishment for us. He stands in our place. He experiences the death that we deserve on the cross. And his death on the cross is not just a horrible execution. It is. It's terrible. It was one of the the worst ways to die. The Romans did that on purpose to make examples of those that they gave that punishment to. But this is the execution of an innocent. The only one to have ever met the standard, the sinless son of God, in order that God might be able to offer forgiveness to you and to me. Propitiation actually means to appease or to satisfy. Jesus satisfies the just wrath of God towards sin when he dies on the cross for you and for me. God's righteous wrath against sin is satisfied in Christ on our behalf. And it allows you and me to be declared not guilty through faith in Christ. Despite our failure, God declares that we meet his standard. He doesn't grade on a curve. He just says, you meet the standard through the righteousness of my son, the perfection of Jesus. And that leads us to the last section of this passage, which answers the question, why? Why would God do that? Why did God do what he did? Let's look at verses 25 and 26, the second half of verse 25. It says, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So did you catch Why God did it? Why did God put Jesus forward as a substitute? To show his righteousness. It it makes me think of a quote that I've heard that's always kind of strange, but the more I think about it, the better it is, and that is that the most loving thing God can do is draw attention to himself. You know, we, if we're drawing attention to ourselves, it's not loving. It's selfish. But God in his unconditional love, his holiness, if he can draw attention to himself, it leads people to repentance. It leads people to knowing him. It leads people to uh, connecting with his son. The most loving thing God can do is draw attention to himself. And right here, he has done all that he's done for us to show his righteousness. He's answering a fairly deep question. If the wages of sin is death, which we know from Romans 6.23, and if God's measure is nothing short of perfection which we know when he gave us the law, and if we have all sinned, which we know from this passage, then why has God not already just wiped us out? 
Why do we even get a chance? Why does he delay punishment and allow it to be placed on Jesus instead? Why don't we get that punishment we immediately deserve and we have the opportunity to place our faith in Jesus? Well, it's because of God's great love for us. He has passed over sins. It would seem that he wasn't actually just because there was no punishment for sin. If God is truly holy and can't be in the presence of sin, how can his justice let it pass without those immediate consequences? And the word that Paul uses here is forbearance. That God has shown divine forbearance. Technically, that word is when a lender agrees not to foreclose on a loan, even though it's in default. So with your sin, your account with God goes into default. Something has to happen. Something needs to be renegotiated. When a bank does forbearance, it does not give up any rights to enforce the terms. It just delays the consequences and renegotiates. God doesn't immediately punish sin, but he did not give up the need for justice. Sin still had to be dealt with, and he dealt with it through his son so that our accounts could be set right. God has shown divine forbearance. And I'm really glad because I would have been a puff of smoke a long time ago. (laughs) Right? Without divine forbearance, I wouldn't have made it to this stage. My sin account was in default a long time ago. But God can't go against his nature. He is just. And sin has to be paid for. It ultimately requires the punishment of death. But in Jesus, God showed his righteousness because of his son's perfection And he showed his justice because the penalty for sin was satisfied in Jesus' death. And he shows his mercy because he allows that penalty that he put on his son to count for you and for me, justifying us in his sight. So Jesus pays our debt. He is our substitute. He is our propitiation. This is the good news of the gospel. And he does all that to point out his righteousness, his love, his mercy. Only God can be both just and and justifier. That's why that phrase at the end is so critical. He is just because sin is punished. He's justifier because he allows the punishment that was put on Christ to count for what you deserved for your sin. And the word there for show says to show his righteousness. It indicates he's pointing it out. It's like he's pointing at the cross where the penalty for sin was paid and he says right there, there on the cross is the proof of my justice and my mercy in the exact same divine act. He doesn't abandon his justice, but at the same time, through faith in Jesus, we have the opportunity to experience his mercy and forgiveness. So you see why this might be called the most important paragraph in the Bible? It answers so many big questions about uh, sin and forgiveness and, and our salvation. It shows us that God doesn't grade on a curve. Nothing short of perfection is good enough. But Jesus took the test. Jesus came and became one of us and lived a perfect life without sin. He got 100%. He met the standard. And God allows that perfection to count for you and for me when we surrender to him in faith as Lord and Savior. That's the good news of the gospel. Which naturally leads to a couple of questions. And maybe some responses for you that God might be leading you to. Maybe you've been operating in life like it is graded on a curve. 
Maybe you've been trying to just sort of have your good outweigh your bad, just be a little better than the person next to you. You know, you can always find someone that you're a, a little better than, and that makes you feel okay. But you realize today that nothing you can do will make you right with God. And you want to surrender and follow Jesus. You want to take care of that problem, that sin problem that we all have, that we all start with today. Well, that's one of the reasons we exist. We want to help you with that. There's a couple of different ways you can respond. Um, as we start the next song, uh, Derek's going to be right over here talking to people about baptism if, if they want to talk about that. And then right in the back, I'll be back there. You're welcome to come talk to either one of us about any of these spiritual decisions. You can mark on your Connect card. It's part of the program you were given when you came in, and we'll get in touch with you if you want to deal with it that way. But we want to help you. That's why we're here. Maybe you've already put your faith in Jesus, but you haven't let anyone know that he's your Lord and he's your Savior. Well, we just happen to have a full baptistry today because we're baptizing five people in the second service. No one's scheduled for this service, so maybe it was, it's there for you. I don't know. We have this tub full up here, and that's what baptism is all about, to tell the world that you've accepted Christ and are now declared right with God through his saving power. Again, we want to help you with that. Derek's going to be right there next to the baptismal, whatever we call it. It's a horse trough with water in it. <laughs> but we did put it up on a stage when we got the new building, so that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, we're excited to help you through that. You may not be ready. You didn't bring any clothes. You didn't think that was going to happen. We have clothes for you. It can happen today if God's telling you that today is the day you're to tell others that you've accepted Christ and declare it publicly uh, through baptism. So come talk to uh, Derek or, or talk to me in the back. You know, it's tough to hear that God demands perfection. And there's nothing else good enough. It's tough to hear that God demands perfection and there's nothing you can do to meet his standard. But the good news is he made a way that allows his justice to be satisfied while also offering us mercy and forgiveness at the same time. He made a way through his son Jesus for us to be saved. That's why we call it being saved. Saved from the penalty of sin through faith in Christ. It cost us nothing, but it cost him everything. You know, we just finished our series on heaven before we jumped into Romans. And heaven is the future and the hope for those that have accepted Christ as Savior, that are justified and are right with God. And today, I think it's good to be reminded that it's not the good people, it's not the, quote, good people that go to heaven. It's the forgiven people. It's the people that have placed their faith in Christ and said yes to what he did for them on the cross. Now, I want to close today by simply reading our passage one more time in a different version. Again, what many call the most important paragraph in the Bible. And maybe you want to just uh, kind of zone out a little bit and just listen, close your eyes, and connect with God as you hear these words one last time. Um, this is the good news of the gospel, and maybe God is calling you to respond today. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. 
We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for this good news. Again, it's difficult to hear that we don't measure up. We like to feel like we deserve things, but God, in this situation, it's only because of your mercy and grace and love. It's only because of the sacrifice of your son. And so God, I pray that if there's anyone in here today that was confronted with this truth maybe for the first time or, or is ready to surrender to your son for the first time, that they would have the courage to respond today, whether they come and talk to one of the pastors or write on their Connect card to let us know, God. I believe there's someone in this room that needs to surrender to you as Lord and Savior today. And God, maybe there's someone in this room that's ready to let people know that you are their Lord and Savior, that they have said yes to the good news of the gospel. I pray that they would come forward and, and be baptized in these next few moments as we worship you, as we reflect on you, as we think about this good news, that it's only through the cross that we can be alive. It's only through Jesus' death that we can find eternal life in your presence. God, we're not good enough but we can be forgiven and declared right. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we start to worship. Will you just respond as God's leading you? Again, I'll be in the back. Derek's at the front. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you. You can put a prayer request in the prayer walls. You can respond on your Connect card. But just more than anything, do what God is calling you to do and let him change your life today.